welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. Riverside Church is a community of believers striving side-by-side for the gospel in the greater New Orleans area. For more information about Riverside Church, go to riversidelife.org. Let's go ahead and take our Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, there's one under the seat in front of you. You can grab that. Uh, Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, as we continue our series uh, through the seven letters to the seven churches in, in Revelation. So uh, we're five churches into this. We've seen Ephesus, among others. We've seen uh, Smyrna and Pergamum and uh, Thyatira is who we saw last week. And this week we turn our attention uh, to the city of Sardis uh, in the church of Sardis. Revelation chapter 3, verse 1 through 6. If you're not sure where that's at the Bible, last book of the Bible. So flip all the way to the end and you will just about uh, be there. Revelation 3, verses 1 through 6. What are, what are some of the signs of life in a, in a city? Have you thought about that before? What are some of the signs of life in the city? Something I've, I've realized about living in New Orleans uh, most of my life, minus about seven years, is that people don't live in our city necessarily because of the scenery or the urban planning. Uh, sure, there are some beautiful sites and beautiful places that are in our city, um, but if you ever go to another city, I was selling this, I can't remember where, um, to someone recently, uh, looking out in, in, in a backyard, uh, most cities you don't see power lines and canals filled with green algae this time of year, right? It's a, it's a little prettier than that uh, most of, of the time. So people don't necessarily move to a city like New Orleans for the beauty or the urban planning or anything like that, or the neighborhoods. I was talking to someone else who just moved to another city from New Orleans, and they're talking about the development of their subdivision, how there's a town center and bike paths that connect um, the, the, each neighborhood to another so people can ride their bikes to go see their friends and all of this. That, that's not necessarily what you are going to find here. But there is a different, there's something different about our city, isn't there? What draws people to the city isn't infrastructure or safety or cleanliness or something like that. People are drawn to the city because it, it has, has a life. It has a soul. It has people. It has culture. It has food. There's something to the city that draws people to it. And you've experienced this. And I, I want to ask you this from a, another perspective as well. Now that we have that in our minds, uh, what are the signs of life in a, in a church? What are some of the signs of life in the church? This is so important for us to know what to look for and know what to celebrate and, and to know to determine what, 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 what is life in a church. Is it the size or the budget or the attendance or the facilities or the programs? That, that, that may be a sign of life, but not necessarily. Or even, or even is it the reputation in the city? Does, does, does that church have a good reputation in the city? Does, does that mean that it has life. Those are some of the things that we will consider this morning, some of the things that the Lord Jesus Christ, as he confronts and delivers these messages to these seven churches and to all of the churches, because remember, this is for all of the churches, plural, to hear. This is just not for us to figure out who's the church in Sardis and kind of get this, get this nosiness and to try to figure out what church fits into what, but to get us to search our own hearts, to search our hearts at Riverside to, to ask what the Lord would want us to know, the, the power of a congregation, the, the life of a church is directly tied, we're going to see, to the congregation's loyalty to Christ. A dead church is a result of dormant faith, and no matter the reputation, 
revitalizing our faith can restore our place in God's mission as, as we see the life of the church to be fellowship and prayer and teaching, this awe at what God is doing among us, the people on mission and God adding to our numbers. It's a culture that we see. It's life that we see, not necessarily some of the other things that we might typically look at for life. So some of those things are we'll be considering this morning and what the Lord is addressing the church at Sardis about. The first thing I want us to consider this morning as we've been walking through these things is to consider the city of Sardis. What was Sardis like? We're, we're going to see the church in Sardis in a minute, but, but first we want to understand the city. What, what city are they dwelling in? So, so let me tell you a few things about the city of Sardis. The city of Sardis was located about 30 miles southeast of Thyatira. Remember, I told you last week, if you're looking at this on a map, that we started at the church in Ephesus. The Lord did addressing these seven churches. Ephesus was likely the, the home church of John. It was one of the most prominent churches, as I said a few weeks ago, in, in the region. If not, the most prominent church, and there it was on the Aegean Sea, a port city, so we started there, and if you're looking at the map in the back of your Bible, you're kind of working your way around uh, Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, as the Lord is addressing these, tur- uh, these churches, so we're, we're still kind of working our way around the horn there of uh, modern-day Asia Minor and, and Turkey. So the city of Sardis was about 30 miles southeast of Thyatira. It was on a, city, a series of hills formed into an elongated plateau with steep sides. So imagine that long plateau, steep sides. It was one of the most ancient cities in the region. It had been capital to the Lydian kingdom and was often fought over in order to control the region. Sardis was one of the greatest cities in the ancient world. It was a wealthy capital at one time and likely wealthy because of of gold. I mentioned a second ago that it was a city on a plateau with steep sides around it. It was difficult to conquer the city of Sardis. In fact, Sardis was known as being an impregnable city. It was situated upon a nearly inaccessible hill overseeing the Hermes Valley. Its people, the people of Sardis, were arrogant and confident. They were certain that they dwelled securely, being that the only point of access to their city was easily fortified, but they were conquered at least twice in 589 BC and again in 218 BC. Sardis was taken like a thief in the night. The enemy found an unguarded weak point in its wall and overtook the proud city. The city itself at the time of this writing was decaying. Some years earlier in 17 AD, they had experienced an earthquake, a natural disaster. Its location didn't allow for much expansion, being that it was on this plateau, surrounded by deep sides, so the city was starting to be abandoned. People began to go down into the valley and to other places to settle, because Sardis was full, and it was decaying, and it was dying a slow death. It was a proud city, a proud heritage, a a, a proud history. They had glory days, but it was a dying city. And for the most part, the greatness of the city was only its history. The city had a reputation, perhaps a reputation that was its own doing. They had perpetuated this reputation. And that reputation was just that, only a reputation. The reputation of Sardis at this time, the city, we're not talking about the church yet, just the city, the reputation of the city did not equal the reality of the city. 
The people were overconfident, and they had become complacent, and they were still relying on their location, their history, their wealth, and their past victory. Sardis's, the city of Sardis, still talking about the city, its glory days had passed. And Sardis was living off the reputation of its ancient past. It was an old city with a long history, but now it was decaying and a dying city clinging to what life it had left. We will look at more of this in a moment, but maybe you've picked up on this already. That the church in Sardis isn't much different than the city it dwells in. And this is a warning for all of the churches. Now, it's good to look like your city and to know your city, but they looked just like their city in this terrible way. But before we get to that first, as Jesus does in these letters, before we get to the church of Sardis, now that you understand what's going in the city of Sardis, what's the first thing we need to do? We need to get our eyes on Christ. That's the first thing. That's that's the best place to start always and forever. Get your eyes on Christ. So as the Lord Jesus Christ addresses the church in this city of Sardis, that now that you know about, get your eyes on Christ. And listen to what he says in Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. And to the angel of the church in Sardis writes, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now, we know from the book of Revelation, remember this is drawing, this, this vision of Christ that we're getting our eyes on is drawing from Revelation chapter 1, where we see this glorious picture of the resurrected Christ. And we're told directly that the seven stars represent the seven churches. So that's clear for us. And so as we get our eyes on Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ is telling them once again, just like he told the church at Ephesus, I hold you in the hollow of my hands. I I, I control the churches, I'm in charge of the churches, and that is a good thing. I hold the seven stars in my hand. Our hope in all of life in a church is that we are held by the resurrected Christ. So get your eyes on that church, that he holds the church in his hand. And, And he gives this other vision here. Not only is he the one, the words of him who has the seven stars, you see right before that, that he says he he is the one who has the seven spirits of God. Now, now this can be a little more difficult to understand. We aren't straight up told as clearly as the seven stars of what they are, these seven spirits are. But if you look a few chapters back in Revelation chapter 1, verse 4, go ahead and look back there. As John begins this letter, John to the seven churches that are in Asia, who we've been talking about, one church number five here, Grace, so this is the greeting, grace and peace to you from him who is and was and is to come, the Father, God himself, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. So there's the seven spirits there before his throne, the throne of the Father, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kingdoms of, of the earth. And so when we put these things together, here, here's what we realize, that the seven spirits is the is Holy Spirit. We get the, the, the Trinitarian language in Revelation 1 through 4. To him who was and is and is to come, to Jesus Christ and to the seven spirits. And so, so what, what the vision of Christ is what we see is, is he holds the seven churches and, and he is the one who sends the, the Holy Spirit. Remember Jesus said, I must go to my Father so that I might send a helper, namely to send 
the Holy Spirit. And this idea of seven is this idea of fullness. So he holds the, the fullness of, of the Spirit. The Lord had promised and delivered the Holy Spirit's indwelling to the church. We saw this particularly in Pentecost. In Revelation, we see the fullness of the Holy Spirit's ministry accompanying Jesus in these early chapters of the book. One theologian, Simon Kistemacher, notes that the Spirit, quote, is the agent to blow new life into a dying church, particularly to the dying church of Sardis, and to stimulate indolent members to action. So understand what's going on here. Get your eyes on Christ. He holds you in his hand. He sees you. He knows you. And he is the one who is able to send his spirit to revitalize you. He is the only one and only by his spirit will the dead be raised to life. This is the only way that we are saved. This is the only way that we're raised to life. And this is the only way a dead church will be raised to life. If God is so gracious, if Christ is so gracious to send a spirit in such a way that the, the churches, the people of the church, the one who are inactive will become revitalized and, and he would break blow new life into the church. And so what we are seeing, if you want life, if, if you want security, then look only to Christ. He is holding the churches and the spirits. Jesus is the only one with the life-giving spirit and the only way any dead church will ever have life again. So we have our eyes on Christ. We understand the city of Sardis. And now let's understand the church of Sardis. It's a brief verse that's described here. We don't get a whole lot about the actions of Sardis, but let's go ahead and take a look. In fact, it's just the second part of verse 1. Follow along with me. I know your works. You have the reputation, there's the reputation that we talked about, of being alive, but you are dead. This description is quite telling. We've seen in, in other letters to other churches, Ephesus, I know your works and all of your toil. I, I, I know your works. I know the, the way that you are fighting against false teachers and not welcoming into your midst. I, I know that, but for the church of Sardis, all we hear is that I know your works. He goes on to say a few verses later that I know your works and your works are not complete. Your works are not half-hearted. And here's what are half-hearted. And, and, and here's what we know about the church of Sardis, that they have a reputation, a good reputation, a reputation of being alive, of being vibrant. Of, of this is the kind of church you want to be. They have that reputation. But the one who holds the churches, the one who sees, the one who has the seven spirits, the resurrected Christ sees with the eyes of flaming fire as he is described and says, that reputation is not reality. The reputation does not equal reality. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Sardis is commended for nothing. You think with a church with a reputation like that would be commended for something, but we just say that he knows their works and their works are empty. And he says, I have found no works of thine filled full before my God. Your works are, are lacking in the sight of God. They are half-hearted. A reputation does not equal reality. Here's another thing we see in this picture of the church in Sardis that, as I said a second ago, I told you we get back to it, that the 
church looked a lot like its city, but not in a good way. It turns out that they looked a lot like the city of Sardis itself, a big reputation, maybe a self-made reputation, but they had no substance. Now, it is true that as churches, we want to have a good reputation in the community, right? We want to be known as people that are loving, joyful, fruit of the Spirit, peaceful, patient, kind, gentleness, and self-control. But we also understand that we have a message that's very countercultural. We understand that a, a good reputation probably means that at least they were well looked upon by Sardis, which is not a bad thing to be well looked upon by the people in your city. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but what we realize about this church itself is it wasn't a good thing for the church of Sardis. And a good reputation does not mean the church is alive. Notice something else about this letter to the church of Sardis, that Sardis, strangely enough, unlike these other churches throughout these seven churches, Sardis, strangely enough, is not mentioned of being persecuted. They're not mentioned of being persecuted. I realize that this is an argument from silence, but it certainly seems notable and it certainly seems understandable if a church is only a reputation and no substance... And if they're doing everything to maintain that reputation, perhaps they avoid persecution because they have positioned themselves to be well-liked and just to be well-liked. That can be true of churches. That can be true of Christians as well. Sardis was a peaceful church, but one theologian describes it like this, that it was a peaceful church, but it was peace more like a cemetery. It had a reputation of being alive, the Lord Jesus Christ says but you are dead. So, so let's consider for a moment, what, what are the signs of life in a church? Something maybe you've realized before and I've realized and, and something we will talk about in an upcoming training on October 1st. Uh, we're hosting a Made to Multiply conference here at our church that's going to talk about uh, bringing the gospel to people that don't know it. Uh, it's going to talk about evangelism and discipleship. It's going to be a wonderful training day on October the 1st. We're going to have probably right here in in the sanctuary. And one thing I'm learning as I'm, I'm, I'm preparing for that, that day is that churches go through life cycles. Maybe you see this in this church or other churches as well as you start off, and even these churches, because they're one generation in, right? They started off, you think Pentecost, they're on mission. Everybody, every day is on mission with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Call that the priesthood of the believer that they all have ownership, they're all living for the gospel of Jesus Christ day in and day out. And as that life cycle goes on the church, they become more formalized. The The mission goes into a movement, into formalization, into an institution where you have a lot of activity but no mission. Perhaps this has happened in the life cycle of the Sardis church. It was planted and now 40, 50, 60 years later... They've become institutionalized, and they've moved from a mission to an institution, and not in a good way where they have activity, but not mission. So this tells us of signs of life in a church are not necessarily some of those things you can count. Yes, we see in Acts chapter 4 that the Lord was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. And yes, we see that this awe that was among them, it was was a cultural thing, it was a a life thing, much like living in the city of New Orleans. It's not so much what you see, it's but the the heart and soul of it. It's not so much the activity or the look or the facilities, but 
What is God doing in their midst? So what are signs of life in a church? Is it the right pastor, the right programs, the right atmosphere, the right music, the right social media presence? All of those could be good and well, but the Bible doesn't say it works like that. What are signs of life in a church? Is it a church that's more formal? Maybe that might be a sign of life, but maybe not. Is it informal that we are closer to Jesus because of the informal nature that we have? Maybe, but not necessarily. Is it enthusiasm? Maybe, but not necessarily. Is it reverence? Maybe, but not necessarily. All of these things could be a sign of health, but not necessarily. So what are, what are they looking for? I don't have a whole lot of answers here, but they have a lot of activity of being alive, but they are dead. What are symptoms of a dying church? James tells us this in James chapter 1. When a church is dying, they're, they're double-minded, he says in James chapter 1. That they're tossed to and fro. They become angry with one another. They divide over issues that aren't worth dividing over. And they begin ignoring good works. And so James tells us in James chapter 1 that this double-mindedness is what makes a church have that death rattle. And so this might tell us something about the church of Sardis. That maybe they're at the door of death. Because they become double-minded. They have a good reputation in the city, but it's only a reputation. Who has their heart? Are they living for Christ or for their reputation? Are they single-minded? So what is the sign, a true sign of a church? Is that we are single-mindedly on mission for the glory of Jesus Christ. Making disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to do all that Christ commanded. Is that our mission? Is that our singular focus for the glory of Jesus Christ to be manifest among us? That's true signs of life. So we have to ask the question of Sardis. But remember, this is for all the churches to hear. Are we single-minded? Or are we double-minded? If we're double-minded, we'll be tossed to and fro, James tells us. So what is our priority? And so like a doctor that can take random symptoms and make a diagnosis, the Lord looks at their works. And this may look different for all sorts of different churches in our own church as well. And he makes a startling diagnosis. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Praise God. The letter doesn't end there. Amen? He's not through with them. God's not through with the church of Sardis. God is not through with the church at Riverside. God is not through with you. Because praise God, he doesn't end there. Yes, Sardis has a reputation of being alive, but it's dead. But the Christ who holds him, them is the one who holds life in his hands. He is the one with resurrection power. He is the one, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 1, who died and behold, he's alive forevermore. That is the Christ who holds them. The one who is correcting them is the one who loves them. And the one who is correcting them and calling their feet to the fire is the one who is in the resurrection business. 
And that is why he can say, wake up. Wake up. They are dead, and dead means dead, but they have their hope. Their hope is in Jesus Christ, that Christ would once again resurrect them to life. And so he gives them five commands. The first command he gives them is, is wake up. Do you see it in verse 2? Wake up and strengthen what remains. Be alert. Pay attention. The enemy is coming. Death is coming, and you better start paying attention before it's too late. Don't be like that city of Sardis you're in that thought they were impregnable and thought they would never be empty. Wake up today. Know the alertness of today that you must wake up today, church, and be aware of what God is doing in your midst and be aware of what truly brings life and start celebrating that. Start looking to that and listen to what he says. Wake up and strengthen what remains. Find the life and water it. Find the spark and fan it in the flame. I remember a time when I was camping. One of the few times I've gone camping. And we, one of the beautiful things about camping is there's not a whole lot to do throughout the day. And that's a beautiful thing when you're trying to relax. And so the morning after we had a fire outside, I went to go sit by the, the fire ring outside of the cabin that we were staying in. And I didn't have a whole lot to do, so I was sitting in a chair, kind of poking it with a stick, trying to maybe clear it out for the fire the next night. And, and all of a sudden, as I sat there, this is a true story, I, I saw a, a little, little billow of smoke. Have you experienced this before? Just a little bit, out from the ashes. As I, this is true. As I scattered those ashes away, a little billow of smoke kind of came up. I was like, man, this thing is still hot. There's still hot coals. It, it looks like dead and ash, but there's still something there. This fire isn't completely dead. And so, so there I go. I, I pull it back. I start blowing on it, nearly pass out from blowing on this thing, right? And so my wife says, get a paper plate and fan it. Then that was a lot smarter to do something like that. And so I start fanning it. I get some leaves, something that will burn quickly and, and starts to get hotter. Then I get some kindling, get some little sticks that are dry and, and they start flaming. So then I put a, a bigger piece of wood on top of that and keep fanning and fanning it and fanning it. And so instead of pulling out my blowtorch, I spent hours it was much more glorious for spending these hours, spent hours literally trying to get these things going, this fire going, so that by the time nightfall came, man, we had another bonfire all out of this little coal. And so that's what the Lord Jesus Christ is like. Find the life. Find the spark. There, there's still some people there who have not soiled their garments. Find and strengthen what is remaining and is about to die and fan it into flame and celebrate it and do whatever it takes to get that fire blazing again. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. They're double-minded. That's the sign of a dead church at the bottom line base level, as we talked about a second ago. So the first command is wake up. The second command is strengthen what remains. The third command that he gives us here is remember what you have received. This is a call to continual action. Keep remembering what the Lord has done in your life. Keep remembering what the Lord has done in your past. Keep remembering his faithfulness, 
namely, keep remembering the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you were dead in your trespasses and sin, and God made you alive in Jesus Christ, for by grace you have been saved. And the only reason Riverside is here is by grace. The only way the church of Sardis is here is by grace. Remember that. Remember the past. But don't just remember the activities. Remember the heart that was driving that. It was so that people would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. That begins in a mission. A lot of times those missions move to formalization where we forget that we must remain on mission. So remember what you have received, namely the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And heard, keep it. The fifth thing, keep what you got. Once you know the truth and you know you should do something with it, this phrase uses the imperative tense to command Continual action. So, so keep holding on to what you have, Church of Sardis, Church at Riverside. For the Church of Sardis to make a comeback, they would have to show sustained faithfulness to keep holding on to what they have heard. Wake up. Strengthen what remains. Keep what you got. And remember what you have received. And repent. Turn and start walking the other way. Constantly be repenting. Say, yes, Lord, this is not the way, but I'm going to to turn and and reorient my mind to be single-minded for the mission of Christ and his glory so that I know that when I come in here every Sunday, what I am looking for is for people who are lifting up their voices to praise God. What I expect about that preacher is, sir, show us Jesus. And if he doesn't show us Jesus, then that ain't the place to be. And Lord willing, I will show you Jesus every, every Sunday. That's what we celebrate. There's all that's happening. That we're pointing people to Christ and say, come, all who are weary and heavy laden. Come, all you who are thirsty and, and have no money and have nothing to drink. Come, all you weary. Come, come to Christ for he is willing and able. He has remembered what he's done in my life and what I keep holding to and repents. And there's the warning If not, if you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will know, not know at what hour I will come against you. Be ready now, is what he's saying. Today is the day to call upon Christ. Today is today to reorient your mind and ask God by the power of the Holy Spirit to do that. And listen to the promise. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis. Fan that in the flame. People who have not soiled their garments. They have not made friends with the world in a compromising way. And they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. And the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So here is the promise for the faithful, the faithful remnants. You're made worthy by the blood of the Lamb. You are more than conquerors through him who love you. You are clothed in white. Your name is secure in the book, and you are being confessed before the Father. Who are these? Well, the Lord goes on to tell us in Revelation chapter 7. Listen to this. It's a vision John has. It says, After this I looked, and behold... A great multitude that no one could number, 
from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages, standing before the throne and the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all of the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. That's the heart cry of the faithful witness from every tribe, tongue, nation, and land gathered around the throne of Christ, clothed in white. And one of the elders addressed him. He said, Who are these? clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? Some of them came out of the church at Sardis. And I said to him, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. This is the promise for the church in Sardis. This is the promise for all believers who have washed themselves, who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb, who have been made clean by the sacrifice of Christ, whose only hope in life and death is the blood of Jesus Christ. Not having a good, not, do I have a good reputation? No, are you alive in Christ? That's the question. They have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. They're sheltered with His presence. They shall hunger no more, nor thirst anymore, nor shall the sun strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb is in the midst of the throne and will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living waters. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I don't know about you, but I want to be around that throne. And I believe I will be around that throne because my only hope is the blood of the Lamb. My only hope is the cross of Jesus Christ. That's my only hope. And what's going to bring life to the church of Sardis? What will bring life to any church? Is a faithful remnant from every tribe, tongue, nation, and land who will simply say our hope is in Christ alone. And the promise for all of those who confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their hearts that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved and you will not be snatched out of his hand. Nothing will take you out of that book. You can't be erased from that book because it's sealed with his blood. And what he promises, he does not undo. Imagine living in that power, being confessed before the Father. You are not forgotten. You are spoken for. Jared is spoken for. And the Lord Jesus Christ says, he's mine. Brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ, maybe, let's think of this individually. This is for churches, so we're getting a little bit out of context here, but if you allow me to do this. Maybe you're worried about your reputation. Maybe you don't have much of a reputation. 
Worry about being alive. And if you've never come to Christ, you are dead in your sins and trespasses. The only way you will be made alive is through the saving power of Jesus Christ. The only way a church will be alive again is through the power of Jesus Christ. So what? Does our reputation match our reality? Just end with these few questions. Does our reputation match our reality? Does your reputation match your reality? What do we want our reputation to be? Are there signs of life that you don't see? Are there, are there signs of life that you don't celebrate? Are you celebrating the wrong things? Are we turned inward and half-hearted towards the conversion of the lost? Brothers and sisters, the grace of God is sweet, sweet medicine. And it can take a dying church and make it alive again. Do you believe that? I believe that. Because God said it. Let's turn to the Lord in prayer.